introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. So TXETA is done, it is over, it is through. I think it was actually quite successful. I know there are quite a few hiccups, at least that I could see as far as tech is concerned, the, the playing of certain videos, and I know there was the hiccup for the voting, but that all got ironed out, and the entire team just did a phenomenal job putting together, you know, kind of the first virtual theater festival, and now it's on to Thespians, and we will see how that goes, I think that there is uh, there are more thespians joining that festival because it's more student driven more student involved uh, so we'll see what type of what type of troubles that has but I, I i don't know if it will i think there's a big old team that's ready for thespians ready to take on the world with that txcta uh, i'm i'm proud to say that travis springfield is now the president elect and that's my boss so i i'm very happy for him very happy for Fort Bend, very happy for all the parties involved. You know, I've never celebrated Destiny Miller for being secretary. Uh, I think it was cool that Pam Wilson was treasurer and she was my former boss. Uh, there are so many elements to TETA that I think are so really cool. I know that there were quite a few fun posts on Facebook regarding TETA as well. Some people saying it's the first time they were able to attend workshops in pajama pants and their bar tab was a lot cheaper and things like that. So. I know a lot of people had fun, and one thing that I got to do was actually go to workshops, and I think I mentioned that last week. It was uh, really kind of nice to just sit and listen to some professionals. I uh, sat in on Brian Stanton's uh, workshop regarding some you know, different virtual ways of engaging the students, some games. Uh, I also, the, the man, I think maybe he owns stock in Google, but pushing Google Slides big time. But uh, that was kind of fun to sit in on that. And also, I'm not, I've never done UIL uh, design before, so I was able to sit in in a few of the UIL design courses as well, just to kind of get caught up since I've never done it. So I gotta get to know it a little bit. I did receive a little bit of feedback regarding going back to school and face-to-face -face and online kids and all this stuff. And one of the things that I think we've all noticed is we have more failing kids. And I even got on a soapbox with my students. I get on soapbox. <laughs> if I had a quarter for every soapbox I got on, you know what I'm saying? But I got on a soapbox with one of my classes because I have maybe six kids that turn on their cameras and the majority of that class has either a D or a failing grade. And, you know, as teachers or as administrators, actually, uh, usually they, they push that back on the teacher to say, well, if you have this many failing grades in a class, Something is wrong with you, not the student. And to an extent, I kind of agree with that. But when it comes to this online world, right now, you just there's there's almost nothing you can do. There's almost nothing you can do other than continue to be online, continue to email, to send. You know, we use Schoology, so send messages through Schoology. Send messages through a mind. Yes, we can call parents, but. Unless you're signing up for a Google uh, line, which I have had done, I have have had done, I've done in the past, uh, you're calling from your own cell phone. And, and even my administrator said, do not do that. So it's very difficult to get these kids engaged. It's also such an odd thing 
that a lot of these kids are signing into class, keeping their cameras and microphones off when requested to be on, and not doing the work as though they've been conditioned to understand that their attendance is actually more important than their grade. And I find a lot of problem in that. I think that it is a government issue that the student is finding that their attendance is literally worth money and their grade is not. There's also something to be said because you can now have credit recovery. You can make up hours. You can do all this work and you know that there's going to be a lot of that after we go back to quote unquote normal of these kids figuring out ways to get their credit. They know the system. They know how it works. They will eventually get out of high school. They're, it's not like they're, they're staying in high school until they are done. They're staying in high school until we are done with them. And uh, that's, that's how it is. It's not, it's not about them. It's about how can we get them out of high school. And uh, there's a lot of problem with that. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know right now what the solution is to get kids engaged online. I know that uh, come Monday, tomorrow, we go back face-to-face with some kids. And I don't want to be that teacher to say, like, I've, I've really affected these kids, you know. But uh, I've really affected these kids. I've had kids, because I'm, I'm teaching most of the face-to-face classes at my school, which is fine. I uh, can't tell you how uh, excited I am actually to do that because I need, I need that instant gratification from kids uh, laughing at my dad jokes. But the, the kids that are staying online were upset that I wasn't going to be their teacher. So obviously something clicked somewhere, and I'm not the only one. There are quite a few teachers that are doing really well online, and I really enjoy doing it online, but you gotta, you, you still have to take note of those kids that are failing, keeping their cameras off, but attending. It's really weird. It's really weird. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see if it improves uh, and... Uh, if, if things, if and when things go back to normal, how that's going to get resolved. Speaking of resolved, has actually, uh, this has nothing to do with resolved. This week's guest is Mr. Da- excuse me, Dr. David Stevens. Now, you, it would, you'd be hard-pressed to find things that say Dr. David Stevens, but you'll hear in the intro of, of his interview when he's talking about himself, he talks about going on to get a doctor. Like, hey, so... Uh, good for you, David Stevens. But David is a UIL office guy and has been an educator. And yes, he's tied to Kelly Russell, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. But that's the whole game right now. So the the interviewee is naming who they think I should interview next. So this week, I had a just an amazing time talking with David Stevens. Um, this might sound weird, but it's true. He didn't stop smiling. He doesn't stop smiling. And we need so many more of those types of people in this world. So please enjoy this super amazing, awesome, fun interview with Dr. David Stevens. Thanks for the opportunity to get to speak with you. I think what you're doing here, Blake, is fantastic. Folks seeing all these uh, spotlight on theater educators for theater educators. It's just a brilliant, brilliant idea. So thanks for doing what you you do. But I'm David Stevens, and uh, currently I'm the director of academics for UIL. Uh, certainly not where I started. Uh, I grew up in a little bitty town in West Texas called Rotan, 
I had 28 people in my graduating class. So my uh, first real experience with any kind of theater was when I was in the third grade and the uh, one act play was The Wizard of Oz. So uh, Lisa Hale, who was a longtime teacher at Plano East was the star of the show. And uh, I just, from third grade on until I got to high school, I couldn't wait to get to high school so I could audition and for the one act play or try out as we called it in, in Rotan. <clears throat> so um, I did that my freshman year and I didn't get cast. So it didn't even make the cast until somebody dropped out. And so then I got moved up to an alternate spot. So it was just my determination to be the best alternate that had ever been in the, the UIL when I played contest. So that was my start. Uh, luckily, I had great, great teachers in a little bitty town that's in the middle of a cotton field. And uh, so I went to a camp every summer and I went to the WT, West Texas A&M University camp, which was the Guy PH speech and debate, speech and theater camp. I went one year in theater, one year in the debate. Uh, then the summer before my senior year, I had the amazing opportunity to get to attend the summer theater workshop that Lynn Murray held at the University of Texas. So that was probably one of the most life-changing events I've ever been involved in. It's one of the first times I'd realized that people did theater that wasn't on gray blocks or had gray, gray flat walls. So, um, so from there, I came to the University of Texas and uh, majored in theater education, which I just was started out as a theater major. Uh, but Ruth Denny was still working at UT at that point. And I was coming down the hall and she stepped out of her office and she had her hands on her hip. And she said, you want to be a theater teacher, don't you? I said, well, I thought about it. And she's like, well, get in my office. And so we filled in my bubble sheet and I became a theater education major. So um, uh, I worked at the UIL office as a student assistant during that time. So it was fantastic. I would run to the office for my class so I could beat everybody else there and get the typewriter closest to Lynn Murray's office so I could hear him talk on the phone to everybody and uh, get all the rumors uh, and help spread them around the state. So. Um, from there, I went to uh, my first job was at San Angelo Central, and um, I was the luckiest first year teacher that's ever been alive because I worked with a woman named Norma Watts. It was the first time she'd ever had a second teacher. So when I got there, she's like, and she'd been there for about 13 years. She said, we're going to split everything down the middle. You're going to teach two acting classes. We're each going to have two tech classes. And she was, this is the most gracious thing any person who ever hires a, a, an assistant or a second person could have ever done. And it taught me so much just about education and theater and everything. <clears throat> this was in 1991. And um, so Norma was fantastic in just like taking kids on a trip, things they never teach you in college when you're in a theater education program about what do you do when you take kids on an overnight trip and how do you keep them in their rooms and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, it was a fantastic, uh, great four years. Um, part of that time, I got to teach with Kelly Russell. Uh, he came to San Angelo. We'd become really good friends our first years teaching. Um, through that, uh, Paula Rodriguez was teaching in Sonora at that time. Tal was in Seminole. Dusty Davidson was in Abilene. Mike and Ronnie was in, were in Odessa. Missy Head was in Odessa. Uh, Jackie DeMontmillan was also out there. So we just had this amazing group of young teachers who just who get together every month or about six weeks and just feed off of one another. We all competed against one another in a lot of places, but we just shared everything. So it was a great beginning experience for my teaching career. 
but I decided I wanted to go to graduate school. And so I then ended up at the University of Oklahoma and uh, had a great, amazing time there. Steve Wallace had just become the chair. And so I was a teacher in Texas. So I had applied to multiple MFA directing programs across the nation. And most of them would just laugh at you when you would show up. And he was like, we want you here because he was really interested in recruiting Texas kids uh, to OU at that point. And so it was a great experience. Uh, I just met amazing people in my life that were uh, very influential in my training and education. Um, so then I came back and I started teaching. I taught a, a semester. Uh, I had my thesis to finish. And so Highland Park had moved J.E. Masters. She was at that, there at that point to a uh, administrative role. So I came in and took over J.E.'s position at Highland Park for the spring semester while I finished while well, I was supposed to write my thesis, but I didn't do it till that summer. <laughs> so I had a great time at Highland Park, but then uh, there was a job open in South Lake Carroll. Two positions were there and I'd really enjoyed working with Kelly. So I called him up and said, let's, you know, see if we can get this job, these two jobs together. So I uh, spent four years at South Lake Carroll, uh, probably some of the best training of my life, not only because I'd been to graduate school, but now I was working with Kelly Russell, who I think is one of the best teachers, educators in the world. And I learned so much just working with him on a daily basis and uh, just what we would do. And that was another great sharing opportunity. So in all of this time before I'm, the nine years that I taught high school, I was so lucky to work with people who were willing to share and nobody wanted to be the head. It was always this shared responsibility. And I think so much, if I had any wisdom to share with teachers who work as, as a team, is really make it a team. Don't someone, you know, I don't think, I sometimes think we have to feel like we need to be, follow the band model where there's the hand, head band director and everybody else is an assistant. Sometimes I don't think that works so well in our collaborative world of, of theater. So uh, luckily I did that uh, for four years and then, um, Kelly went to grad school. I had some other opportunities and then I ended up uh, becoming a fine arts director in Keller. So I was a fine arts director in Keller for 10 years after that and learned so much about life uh, through, while I was doing my uh, work as an administrator, I was able to enter a doctoral program at UNT. So I ended up getting my doctorate in education administration. And uh, that was just part of the, all the learning and what I learned about if I could go, if I went back and was a theater teacher again, I would be so smart as to how I dealt with administration <laughs> and uh, kids and just things overall. So I just, once you're in that role, you, you look back and go, oh my gosh, you, you learn so much about that. So after those 10 years, the academics job came up and Lynn Murray actually called me up and said, uh, have you applied for that job yet? And I was like, no, I haven't. <clears throat> and then about a week later, he called me up and said, you applied yet? I was like, I still hadn't. And then I went and saw a middle school musical of The King and I that night. And I was sitting there as the fine arts director going, I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I went and uh, filled out the application and ended up uh, getting the job. So I'm now on my, uh, finish, just finishing my eighth year of uh, being uh, the academics director at UIL. Wow. Okay. You, I feel like you've, you've done that before because you were like each, you almost said it and this isn't a knock. This is, this is a good note. This is what they teach you in grad school and, 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 you know, getting a doctor pro in a doctor program is being succinct, you know, 
don't fluff. And I, and I, I thought that was perfect. Like that was, that was such a great introduction. Uh, it's, it's, it's literally like you were reading your resume. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, man, this is really like all that information was great. And I joked before we started recording about going back to saying, you know, it was a cold winter night. My mother went into labor, but, um, uh, I feel like even if I, if I made you David, if I made you go all the way back, you would even hit those bullet points. Like, you know, I was driving this remote control car and my friend came. <laughs> so that was really, really good. Tell you like, lots of stories. No, that was great. It was perfect. Um, so I wrote down a lot of stuff that I want to ask you and, and it's a nope, it's an order of how you spoke. So as far as my mind is concerned, it's not in any order for that, uh, that regard. Now it's Kelly is the one that recommended I, I talk to you. Um, okay. so I, I want to hit on that first. You, you were both in San Angelo and this is, this was towards the end of my interview with Kelly, but I told him I, I got, uh, I got, I, I graduated with a master's from, from Angelo state. Right. Yes. And he, um, I asked him, I've never been to San Angelo. So I want to see what your answer is about why I need to like pick the family up and not move there, but just take the family for a vacation to West Texas, go to San Angelo, do the West Texas thing a little bit. Uh, and I know people in El Paso are like, no, we're West Texas. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is, what is a reason to go to San Angelo? Like just um, something that I I'm was, missing. I was amazed when I went for my interview because I really was, I was a student taught in Austin and from West Texas, I just knew I really wanted to get back to where the, the people there are just amazing. And then, you know, anywhere in West Texas, you're always going to hear that uh, from there to El Paso or wherever, especially since that central area. Yeah, sure. But it's the the people. And then what I was so amazed at was just the amount of culture, this country town that you think is honky tonks and, and sheep herders and stuff. And I mean, they had an amazing civic theater in, yeah. in town that just does great work. Of course, the university is always doing really at that point, uh, Bill Watts and Ray Carver were there and uh, they were just doing really some cutting edge work and some really great stuff. And then Norma had just built an amazing department right. at, um, there at San Angelo Central. They were doing amazing work that at the Thespian Festival and they had the year before I got there, they had actually been invited to perform at the International Thespian Festival with okay. Fiddler on the Roof. Wow. Oh, no, it's Once Upon a Mattress. She'd oh, okay. done Fiddler the next year. Got invited again, but they decided not to spend the money, I think. So yeah. uh, just a huge productions of great stuff. And so that was just what I was so amazed at. And when I when I went for my interview, it wasn't just sit down with the principal and Norma and interview. She said, I want you to meet my classes. Yeah. So I sat there all day long and talked to her kids and answered questions and all sorts of stuff. And it's just when I was there, I just like, this is where it's that whole gut reaction of this is where I'm going to be. <laughs> and, uh, wow. I got to perform at the because Kelly was there. It came in later. He would be he'd direct a show at yeah. the, the school, so I'd get to go off and be in a show at the Civic Theater or something. So it was just a really neat group of of, of culture right. area that is beautiful at the same time. But and you know outside of it, 10, 15 miles outside, it's just flat cotton land. But right. actual San Angelo is beautiful. Yeah. So. Has anybody? This just hit my brain too. Has anybody ever told you you look like? Texas version of Christoph Waltz. Now, now I'm looking at you through a Zoom camera, so maybe it's. <laughs> that little thing, you make your image look a lot better on Zoom. Yeah, so right. maybe that's what right. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're you're both good at good at theater, I guess. <laughs> so um, 
something about uh, to Kelly, and then we'll, you know, jump uh, drop Kelly the the conversation about him. You know, we've already spent a an hour with Kelly, so uh, he mentioned that you guys were a package deal at South Lake Carroll, like that you guys kind of went in, uh, and I'm sure it didn't happen just like this, but you kind of laid the hammer down and said, you get you get both or neither. Um, could do you think that could still happen today? Do you think if there is this uh, dream team type of scenario uh, that a school could say, and and th- and I'm asking you this more as Dr. David Stevens rather than South Lake Carroll David Stevens, um, could that still happen today in today's kind of educational environment? Um, you know, I think if people, it, it should especially if there are two positions that are available. And if you have two people who have worked together before and know how to get along and know what needs to do, and we both had a good record of success by that point in our very early lives too. And I think the principal, and I was at Highland Park, Kelly was at Westlake. So the principal who was one of the best administrators I've ever worked for, he was just like off the wall thinking he was stealing us from, you know, to bring us to South Lake. So it was, it was a key for him. So he was all about for it. One of the people had already resigned, but the other one was waiting to get a contract at the other district they were moving to before they would resign. So he was really trying to talk us, one of us into taking the job before the other one. He was like, and we just kept going, no, we've got to come together or we can't come at all. So I think we ended up signing. One of us signed the contract a week before, but we had already talked to the other person who was leaving. And he was like, I guarantee you, I'm going to, I'm going to resign. I just, They've already approved me. I'm just waiting for the contract. Right. So we, we knew it was a done deal before we, we signed up for it. So It's like twins fighting about, like, I'm older than you by eight minutes. Exactly. <laughs> I, I've been working at Southlake for a week longer than you. Yeah, I'm the veteran. Uh, that's well, pretty... <laughs> it, what was so great about and Kelly's just wonderful to work with yeah. and is one thing. But when you can get someone who can sit there, and we, we always joked and said you, we could tell each other that our babies were ugly. <laughs> and the other, I mean, your baby's ugly, and they're going to say, "Well, you need to dress it or something," because I don't know how to fix it anymore. You know, still in with our shows or whatever we do. That's funny. So that's very funny. Was there ever a time that the two of you thought, "Uh oh," and and I can I don't know if you listened to his episode or not, but I kind of asked him a similar question, but uh, or or was it the was it that you guys could similar to like brothers just know that regardless of if you had a disagreement, it's not going to end poorly. It's just two people that, you know, I like red, you like blue and, and we'll move on. Uh, we, we did that a lot. We, yeah. we usually could easily come to a consensus. There was a, I have two, two stories to tell you in that sure. regard, because it's just great about working together. Um, I was doing the tech work on uh, a show and I would try to do this newspaper mache sort of covering the whole set, which was just way big of a project. And it just, I set this sample out in the sun and it had dried and had this beautiful sort of ochre antique looking thing. And I thought, perfect. Well, I didn't realize it was the sunlight that did that. And so when I was doing it, we were doing it in the black box. It just never changed. So Kelly came in and like, we had some paint there and we were trying to do some, and he just dumped the whole bucket of paint in there. And I was like, yeah. Anyway, we smeared it around. I did it being exactly <laughs> what it should have been. So that worked out fine. Uh, the other time was the, it was the first year we were at, at, we were at Southwick. And we jokingly say there were seven schools in the district. It was an amazing, great district yes. of, of really good programs, but we were a little cocky and we came in and 
we picked Spring Awakening, which was a really ambitious play for us to pick at that point. And um, we went to district and the kids did the best job they'd ever done. We had a cast that wasn't really unified, but they really did great. And I remember saying, how do you feel? And they were like, oh, it's great. We're, and they'd been to state the year before. They were like, it's great. We're going to advance. And so I remember telling them, whatever happens, just don't lose this feeling today (laughs) that you got right now. So we took the kids home and then I told Kelly, I said, hey, you want to grab something to eat? Uh, actually, we were, I said, go grab a drink. So he's like, sure. <laughs> so I pull up to him and he's sitting on the curb outside of his apartment. He's like sitting there with his hand sort of in his in his face and he's just kind of looking down. And I threw open the passenger drawer and I said, get in, loser. And <laughs> we laughed and got over it and we weren't sad anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. One of those things, you just, just got to have that relationship with your, your teaching partner. I think it's so healthy for kids to know that I, I see this a lot, especially as, as an administrator with teachers who they don't really communicate with each other. They communicate with their, through their students, say, go tell Mr. Yes. or Mrs. So-and-so something. Well, that kid takes that message to that teacher with their own inflection and ideas of what that other teacher means. So you, you as teachers, they, you got to communicate with one another right. and, and always be on top of what those, those kids are saying. So they don't teach you like, they do their parents and dad says no. So they go and ask mom and get a completely different answer. Yeah. It was another great thing about working with Kelly and Norma both is we all communicated so, so well that the kids couldn't tell one person one thing and then get a different answer out of somebody else. Right. Cause we'd always be communicating. And I think that's one of the greatest things I could tell team uh, teachers are working together, just communicating with one another. So important that yeah. you know more about what's going on with each other than your kids yeah. know between the two of you. So. Yeah, I, I taught, uh, for four years, I taught with a, a, a brilliant director named Melanie Burke, and our first year was horrible. It was it was just dreadful, and we both will admit that to each other, But and it was because of that, because we'd say, hey, David, go tell Melanie, or go tell Miss Burke, and then uh, we still kept that going after we, a similar story, we, we went out, well, not similar story, we but we went out and bonded, you know, I'll just say that. And, uh, <laughs> after that moment, we kind of, it was kind of a game now of let's see what the kids turn this into. Uh, awesome. we, we both would communicate a hundred percent of the time, yes. but it became kind of this like, Hey David, go tell Miss Burke. And then, and then we'd like text, Hey, David's on the way to, <laughs> let's see what this spins into. It's a game of telephone. You know, it's, uh, it was really yes. fun. Well, uh, and, and it's not even just your theater team. It's when you're trying to negotiate with the show, the right. choir teacher for the show choir kids. And so you're sending those kids back and forth with that choir teacher. Just, just go talk to yeah, the choir teacher yeah. yourself, you know? Yeah. The adults can figure it out so much easier and quicker. And then you'll, you won't be mad at each other because the way the kids said that so-and-so yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> or and whatever it is. And, and communication, uh, no matter how you feel about the way people communicate now, it's definitely easier now to communicate oh. with somebody. The The means of communication is maybe a little different. Maybe you have to be a little more tactful, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely changed. So I'm going to move off of that for a little bit. Did you, uh, going way back, or maybe not way, way back, I don't want to age you, uh, did you have any idea that you wanted to go to UT before you went to that camp um, your senior year? No, because I was going to go to A and M. Okay, okay. <laughs> You're just. Are you a sports fan at all? Yeah, you know. Oh, yes. I, I love college ball, but like it wasn't. You know. So I go to OU and UT. Yeah, because because I always, I always said I was going to get my doctorate A and M, but yeah. 
little all over the place. I mean, yeah, it's like you, if if you if you weren't a sports fan, I would understand. But if you like college football, you are you are just you're trying to get the best of every world. Is what you're trying to do. I'm trying it's to make fair. sure I'm I'm never, I'm never a loser. So <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Right. Trying to hit all the big ones in each state, like just, you know, next is Notre Dame on your list. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Right. So, but did you, so you wanted to go to A&M then? Yes. Only because one of my really good friends who graduated two years ahead of me had gone, two of them had gone to A&M and I'd gone to Bonfire. Okay. My junior year. So I was like, it was just like a, I mean, the school spirit and the crazy, it was like a small town and a giant place. Yeah. Cause I'd grown up in a school where we, I went to every pepper rally from kindergarten through 12th grade because right. everybody went, the, the gym held everybody. So I, I love that, that sort of tradition and that spirit and that, that uh, camaraderie about it. Now, the funny thing is, is I applied to UT and I got turned down because I'd never taken a foreign language. Ah, uh, okay. So, uh, but they didn't offer it in my, my small town school. So, uh, Anyway, I got a, the counselor wrote a letter. And so that I got admitted with a deficiency to UT. I just had to take two semesters of, of Spanish before I could graduate. Right. And uh, so anyway, once I got turned down, it was like, by God, I'm going there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wow. And, and you said you were, you was, you was, oh my gosh. You said you were planning on going to A&M for your doctorate too. So later on, you oh, still... no, I always joked. I wanted to, so after I got my master's at OU, oh. that I wanted to get my doctorate at A&M just so I could complete just the Holy Trinity sort of idea. But. <laughs> okay. That's funny. How did, how did you feel going to OU? Like, I mean, like, was it, you know, and I don't just mean that in a football sense or in a sports sense. I mean, uh, the idea of this kind of just very much ingrained in you, the Texas, the Texan, um, and then stepping out with, different public education system, uh, different view of uh, a one act play contest. Uh, just how did you, how did you adjust? And then what did you bring from there, from OU back to Texas, back to the one act play world, back to the UIL world? Are there, are there ideas that you've kind of integrated in your own philosophy that, that came out of the state, not necessarily OU? Um, you know, I, I'm, I did. I never saw one of their one act play contests when I was there. I only heard about them, but um, I loved, I had, my life had been changed so much by summer camps and that I created a summer camp at OU one year, uh, one summer and had all, not only did I do the kid, I think we had 16 kids that came, but I also did a teacher camp, which tons of teachers came. And I just had all the, all I knew was one act play stuff. So a lot of them came because they, you know, when I play UIL is, is, is it's, it's a legend really around, around right. the nation, most places. And a lot of those teachers came because they wanted to find out more about when I play and how to choose scripts and what we did with our, you know, the approved list and how do you find plays that aren't on this list and stuff. So it was, a, that was a great experience that I got to uh, bring there, but overall just um, growing up, helped me a lot and just analyzing a script and knowing what a script is about. And it was, that was a huge learning process that I had in grad school that I'd never learned or understood in graduate undergraduate. And certainly not in four years of teaching because my first four years of teaching, you just close one show and you start the next one and you're trying to make sure you get your props and get your lessons done for the day as well. And, 
<laughs> so, so it was, it was that time to, and that was one of the reasons I was wanted to go to grad school. I wanted to learn more, but I had done everything in the world. I thought I wanted to do as a high school teacher and I was ready to go teach college. Right. And I think it was Marion Castleberry, Marion Terry Castleberry, who were, they were at uh, Angela state at the time. And they were telling me you should go get an MFA in directing because that's really what's going to take what you've already learned. And, and, you know, that's what you want to do when you, you want to uh, become a college professor. But I got to, I had a great experience of working in the office. I was the assistant to the marketing, marketing director of Charlotte Cowden, who's now at the university of Evansville, who was one of the, the greatest gems I, I could have discovered in, in graduate school. And, um, learned so much from her and about that process and hearing all about, I just, I knew I didn't want to teach college after having that experience. And I really, really missed the high school world and that connection with those kids and and just everything you get to do as a high school teacher on a daily basis, picking your own shows, not having a season picked and going, Oh, you're going to direct the third show in a season. Do you you want to do it or not? So. Wow. Okay. Well, that's cool. The, the starting the camp thing. I mean, the, from, from OU, I, I, did you know that there was going to be a reaction like that from the educators or did you just kind of go into it blindly? Totally, totally blindly. Yeah. I just had a great uh, professor who just said, sure, let's get these teachers and kids to campus and help recruit right. kids to the thing. So they just blindly agreed to what I thought. And I had a little budget and I had to get so many to make it make and and uh, so, and it all just worked out. I don't even know how I got a list of the <laughs> teachers to send them out the right. invitations, but I remember doing a brochure and getting it mailed out to the schools and all sorts of, of stuff that I thought, what I'd learn, what I knew happened at all the camps in Texas at that point. So. <laughs> right. Well, cool. So coming back to Texas a little bit. Uh, so I went to HSPVA and it was, you know, the Denny theater. Uh, oh, yeah. And so Bob Singleton was always telling us about Ruth Denny. But I don't think as a student at HSPVA, you know, you really understood who Ruth Denny was uh, because we never really, we never, Bob would do his best to, to tell us about her, but there was no like class on Ruth Denny. You know, we didn't spend, spend six weeks discussing her legend and her status in the state. So tell me, what does, what does Ruth Denny mean to the state of Texas? What, what impact besides the HSPVA thing, because I know about that, and, and maybe you mentioned that in the in the recollection, but what what kind of impact did she have in this state? What was, what's, her stamp is massive, don't get me wrong, yes. but in your opinion, in your mind's eye, what, what kind of impact did she have? I think probably in the 70s, I guess, and, uh, you know, when she was just a powerhouse of a high school theater teacher at Lamar, and would bring these massive shows to the state meet that Lynn Murray would still talk about. And I know uh, Mr. Murray was very instrumental in getting her to the University of Texas uh, in the theater education program. And I think she opened the doors to so many people. I mean, you have like uh, Margaret Valenta Locker, and Billy Dergoo and Travis Poe, and you know, that whole, there's just a whole smattering of teachers that came through that University of Texas during her time. Uh, Rick Garcia was another one, Lisa Hale, all of those, those uh, amazing educators we have that have done so much for theater education in Texas. And she was, Miss Denny was 
at a point where she and Mr. Murray helped, I think, bring theater education to Texas to the the massiveness that it is. So many times I think we we forget in Texas, it is very we are very uncommon for us to have two teachers at a high school. Some of us are teaching in a team of four or more, and that is unheard of anywhere else in the nation that I'm aware of. And it's because of these amazing educators like Miss Denny, who made theater education such an important curricular activity and not just an after-school play that the English teacher would do. And, you know, Mr. Murray was such a mass, mass producer of making sure that you are a certified theater teacher to be able to do the one act play. And he, he used that trophy as a carrot to motivate those administrators to want to hire good theater teachers so that they would have that success. And so I think it's those, those were the pioneers of theater education that, to what we have now that I think so many of us take for granted right. that I, I wish we wouldn't. And understand that just, you know, 30, 40 years ago, this was not, you know, this was not a common place right. you know, to have theater education as prominent as it is. Right. Speaking of, so speaking of that, you also mentioned at one point that uh, you mentioned that you, learned the logistics of just getting rights and, you know, booking a bus or things like that. Um, uh, when you started out teaching, I know that there are universities now in the state of Texas and Jackie D is one of the, you know, founders of one of the greater programs, uh, at UH now. And I know she's moved on, uh, up North, um, and we'll forgive her for that. But, uh, (laughs) but, um, is there is there still more room for growth? And maybe this is more of a national uh, conversation than a than a Texas conversation because I think Texas is becoming one of the leaders in this world. But is there still more growth for teaching the basics of theater education, not just theater or education, but theater education as a whole? You know, learning because you know when I was in school, I was I have a theater degree, uh, so I learned that there are copyright rules, but I'm learning from a community theater or a regional theater uh, point of view. Um, and then as a, as an education major, you don't learn that stuff. You learn about what's in the classroom. Um, and so finally it melded together in this state, at least with a couple programs. Is there still more room for growth in that world? Or uh, do you think we're doing such a good job now that those will just kind of adapt and, and adjust and grow in the state of Texas and, maybe lead the way like UIL does. So there's lots of room for growth. And going back to Miss Denny, one of the things she instituted at the university of Texas and why I think it was such a powerhouse of pumping out theater educators uh, at a time when it was, was she made, she made it where you could take like a direct, I think they call it now at UT, they call it directing the young performer. Um, but it is a directing course that is for theater education majors, and it's about directing a play, and you get an education credit for it. So part of whatever, however many hours of education you have to get, you would get, you know, part of that, that was what you got. So I wasn't, as a theater educator, you weren't sitting in a classroom discipline management with some education professor who wrote a book about if kids misbehave, write their name on the board and put a check mark by it or something like that, you were like learning about being a theater teacher. 
and what you had to do. Um, well, Miss Denny had moved on, Rod Caspers had come in for a while, and then at the very end of my, my career was Jackie Bromstead. And I'll just tell you a quick side story because I got to go back to what we can do in, in theater education. But Jackie Bromstead was, just, this was one of the discussions we had in this education course. So she, she said, no matter how long you have to wait for another adult to get to the school, you do that and you never ever take a student home alone in your vehicle or be left alone with them. You always leave the door open, you always do this. And she just, she had great horror stories about whether an inappropriate activity had happened or not, how teachers had just, she said, they won't even ask you, did this happen or not? They will tell you to just, here's a box, clean out your desk, you're never coming back. So that was a great experience. And it's that sort of education and that sort of learning that I got to have in a, an amazing program that was for theater teachers that I'd have never had if I'd have just you know, been a theater major and taken a couple of education courses. So unfortunately, getting back to that, unfortunately, I think what's a, a biggest sort of deficit we have in our theater education programs across the state now is there's such a rush to get kids to graduate within their 120 hours and their four years and hurry up and get them out the door. And the College of Education doesn't want to, they don't want to give up their enrollment in their classes to the theater program so that they can teach just their theater kids. And then the theater, same thing, maybe they don't have time to be able to do that. But if there was anything we could do to improve, that would be it. So all of these theater educations, much like many of the music education programs, they will have theater education courses just for their kids who are doing theater education. Same thing they do with music education courses that are just kids who are going to be music teachers. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for them to, to learn exactly their craft of what they're going to do. So I would love for us to get back to that. Yeah. And I mean, I went five years to finish my degree, but it, it just, that's how long it took. Yeah. And I, I think as a teacher, Oh, if you're going to be a teacher, you, Maybe you should have a program that's five five yeah. years long, so you have the opportunity to grow up. Number one, and number two, just get an opportunity to experience that. And I wish we would do student teaching much earlier in the career span. I think kids would. I think a lot of education majors would realize maybe this isn't their gig that they student taught in their second year or had a lot more field experience than what they do. But unfortunately, as we try to compact that and get kids out in four years, you lose so many of those opportunities. Yeah. You, you don't want your doc, you don't want to walk into your doctor's offices and they say, you know, I got out of college as quick as I could just, <laughs> exactly. yeah, I guess it's the same for educators too. Yeah. You know, I took, I, and I've said this many times, but I took seven years for my undergrad. Um, and I probably only needed six, but, uh, uh, it, there's, there's not a lot of, I don't have a lot of regret in, taking that time because again, I was able to also work in the field and, and do things that helped me, that gave me an education that I was getting paid for rather than paying them. So, uh, you know, there's something to be said about that. And I definitely preach that to my students too. Like, don't feel like four years is like four years is the plan. You know, even, even your sour cream might say that it expires in a month, but that doesn't mean you still can't eat it a month later. You know, it might still be good. So I know it's horrible to compare uh, education to sour cream, but you know, I just did it. So, uh, <laughs> so you, here's something that I, that I wanted to save towards the end um, because it, it really piqued my interest. And I think uh, you might speak heavily on it. And 
uh, it's something that I'm passionate about right now because the Texas thespians have created uh, TTAN, which is a, an advocacy group to try to help administrators uh, understand what it is they're looking for in theater educators and technical theater educators and how maybe how to to, to uh, analyze them or you know to, to evaluate that's the word I'm looking for um, and go into a classroom what are they looking at what are they seeing how do we hire good ones and quality ones what are we supposed to look for there so you mentioned about after you got uh, you completed your doctorate program that if you went back to teach how you might be able to talk to an administrator or maybe understand what the administrator's response is, why they're saying, no, you can't do this, David, or you can do this, uh, approvals and such. So give me a safe, politically safe, and also, you know, uh, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but give me a safe thing that you might give advice to a teacher to say, you know, if I were to go back, I would understand why the administrator said X, Y, and Z, or I would approach it from this direction rather than going at it from uh, that direction, which ended up being wrong or whatever. There were some hurdles you had to jump. So what is something that you might go back and say, I'm going to try this a little different? Um, I think all arts education band of all the arts, all the artists people are most jealous of the music people, mainly marching band because they get so much attention and those band directors get such a huge stop in and all that sort of stuff. Well, they earn it. And I have a whole philosophy about that. But the thing I think we do, which is our biggest downfall, and I learned this from working with art teachers, is art teachers create amazing art. And many times us theater teachers do too. But we're down in the back end of the building and the back hallway or whatever. And we just expect somebody to come around and discover how great our students' work is and what's going on. But I can tell you as an administrator, the fire is burning on the other end of the building. And as long as things are going smoothly down there, you're never going to go down there and check it out because you know things are okay. You're going to go over here where the catastrophe is happening. So as I would tell my art teachers is you can't create this amazing piece of art and hang it in that glass case that's down there on the end of that hallway that nobody but your art stu teacher students go by. You got to go stick it in the principal's office and put chaser lights around it and say, look what's happening in my classroom. And I think we have to do that as theater teachers as well. And so many times we, we're trying to fly under the radar. And so we don't want them coming down and seeing what we're doing, but that is the a huge fallacy. So you've got to go tell those administrators what you're doing. You got to tell them how good it is. And you got to tell them exactly what you want them to know is happening in your classroom. You don't have to tell them about the one kid you didn't see all class period and then you found they were, you know, not sorting nails in the scene shop like they should have been or whatever. Don't tell them those stories. Tell them the good stuff. But I had a great, I had a teacher who was doing amazing stuff. She, had, she, she was, was in Keller and she was at a school that didn't have a lot of, of uh, great things going on, but she was doing amazing stuff. And so she'd go invite her principal to come, hey, second period, I'm doing this stuff. And she had all these trouble kids that were just loving theater and doing great stuff. So she'd try to get him to invite. And I said, hey, did he come down? It? No, he didn't come. So he kept going, well, we're at a principal's meeting where all the principals and all the administrators gathered around. And I hear her principal telling your, telling the one good thing that happened at your school last week. Well, I hear over here, I'm at his table and he's telling his other cohorts about how great his theater teacher's doing and these amazing strides she's making with these really difficult kids. And so I called her up and I said, hey, 
heard he came down and visited. She's like, no, he hadn't been here. I said, well, have you been telling? She's like, yeah, I've been telling him every week what's going on. I was like, well, he's telling people like he's been seeing what you've been doing. So he had not seen what she had done, but he knew she was doing great stuff. And that's the story he was telling. So we have to go stick that piece of art in the principal's office, but shake your lights around it and, and let them know the great things that are going on in, in your classroom. Invite them in. And they're not always going to get to be there. They're not always going to come see your productions. If you have an administrator who shows up, whether it's central office or a campus, who comes to your productions, you need to make a big deal out of that as a teacher and thank them and introduce your kids to them and whatever it takes, because even your campus principal may not know who your kids are, but I mean, drag that principal into the middle of your, your dressing room or wherever it is that your kids are gathering around and say, hey, look who came to our show yeah. today. Send three or four of them and say, make sure you go by Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so office today and thank them for coming to your play. And once you get that camaraderie and that sort of mojo going between that administrator and they, they, they need that an administrator desperately needs a great, something great to brag about that's happening in their school because that's not what they have to deal with every day. Right. Another thing I learned as an administrator is that I would be such a better teacher about is if there's things you need, things you want for your program, make that list. Let that administrator know. Don't expect it to happen that day or that year or whatever. But every chance you get, say, sure, do you have anything left in the budget? Because uh, uh, we could sure could use 300 extra dollars to do whatever or whatever it is you might need to do. And uh, so and it's just asking them. And as I, I'd always say, tell teachers, is like, you just got to remind me. So I'll turn my wagon back around and come back and pick up your sack of potatoes that fell off and put it back on top of the pile. And that's really what, because you're, as an administrator, you're just, you're being land blasted from every side. And yeah. you, you want good news from your teachers. And I would never, ever take a problem to an administrator. I would always figure out what I needed to happen and say, hey, this is going on, but this could solve my issue if there's any way we could make this happen. And as an administrator, I would bend over backwards to try to, solve a teacher's problem who already knew what they needed to do to solve it. So, so I'm going to pick on one thing that you mentioned, cause I, I, I pride myself on this, but the, the student that the trouble student that is uh, in English and math and science, and those teachers are always having issues with that kid. Why, why is theater the place that they thrive? And I know that that might sound like a dumb question cause it has kind of an obvious answer of like, they're allowed to be themselves and they're and they're and it's fun and stuff. But like, why isn't, why can't core th- class be that way? Like, well, what is it that that core is missing and why, why is, and so I guess it's more along that question, not why theater, but why, why can't we get that feeling of be, allowing a, a student to be themselves, allowing a student to quote unquote express themselves uh, in the boring normal class, uh, wh- what is it that's missing in there? And I, I know you might have an answer that uh, stems from ten years in Keller, and stems from South Lake, and stems from St. Andrew. You know, all of your experience comes together to say this is why. But you know, what what is it that that you think could be missing? And is there something that you've brought to the UIL table um, that kind of goes with this theme of hey? if we're going to have these kids that are having some trouble in the, in, in, in the core classes, 
in the academic world, let's bring in this theatrical element or, or a fine art element to kind of help get this kid to enjoy what they have to do, not what they want to do. Does that make um, sense? <laughs> it made sense in my head, but <laughs> an hour long uh, response. Uh, I know no, I, it's, this is your, this is your dissertation right here, actually. Right. So. <laughs> oh, man. Which was over the one act play, by the way. Okay. Crazy. But, uh, we, I think the biggest difference theater has, and I think it's the advantage that theater has over all of the other art forms is it is so collaborative that anybody can find something that they're good at. And I think as theater educators, we get to, we have the advantage of getting to know those kids on a one-to-one -one level. And you have the opportunity to find some spot to compliment that kid and find their, their bright spot and, and uh, let them feel good about themselves. And um, that's, that's the magic of it. And it's, you also have the unique opportunity of getting to have many conversations with like little conversations with various kids as they're working on individual projects or in group things. And you just, you get to go talk to them and you get to find out that they're on the hockey team or they play lacrosse or they're whatever other activities they're, they're doing. They're in show choir or something. And you get a chance to talk to them and ask them about it because you're probing to find out what else they need to do and what, how you can connect to them. Cause I think as, as art teachers, artists, we get to connect with those kids on those sort of levels that any of the math teacher is not going to. Um, even the choir teacher may not have that sort of connection and communication with their kids. So that's where I think we get to shine. I think that's why those kids who are trouble in math or any other class don't give you trouble as a theater teacher because you care about them and you find out about them and you ask about them. And then next class you'll say, hey, how is your little brother who blah, 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 you were telling me about, you're worried about. And all of a sudden you have that co connection with that kid and, and you care about them more than who they may assume the math teacher only cares if they're going to turn in their homework and get an A on their test or not. So it's a personal connection that we get to have as yeah. theater teachers. And I think that's such a unique opportunity that sometimes we miss and sometimes we forget we need to create that. And you do have, I mean, I did have those trouble kids in my class who I just especially when I taught tech classes at South Lake Carroll, because it was really the dumping ground for kids who didn't go anywhere else. And, yeah. and you're just like, and I remember one kid telling me, Mr. Stevens, you're my favorite teacher. And my immediate response, which I so regret was like, well, you're not my favorite student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's a, there's still that, that, that sort of honest connection though. I mean, it's, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's it's a it's great stuff and so it's such a and i know right now in our half we're trying to do virtual and everything else and we're not feeling that and yeah. just as i try to tell teachers just figure out a way to make that connection because as a teacher you're going to be more invested in what you're doing when you know what those kids are and yeah. how they're going and why that kid's in a bad mood or why they're you know not engaged or whatever else it is and you just find ways to pull them out of their little shell and yeah and help them out and do great things with them. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing. Okay. So, uh, I've taken up enough of your time and asked way too many questions that get advice from you. So here's what I want. I'm going to, sometimes I end with, with advice and sometimes I end with kind of a fun little thing. So with you, I'm going to do a fun little thing. And this goes back to the beginning, uh, the whole UT OU thing. This, <laughs> this is a curious question and it might flop. What color 
do you have more of in your closet? Burnt orange or crimson red? Um, I think I have, I have one of each because I don't really look good in either one of the colors. How's that? (laughs) So you're an equal opportunity, uh, uh, university lover. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I have, when I was teaching in Dallas, uh, I had a very good friend from OU who lived in Dallas and he'd have a giant party at his house every the Thursday night before the, the uh, Texas OU game. And if you're from OU, you say OU Texas, by yeah. the way, yeah. which I didn't know. And on my syllabus for my not acting for non-majors class at OU, I put Texas OU weekend. And they were like, it's OU Texas. I was like, oh, big mistake. Anyway, my friend has this giant party. He had a radio DJ who just happened to be there and they were talking, they were friends. And so the guy found out I went to both places. He's like, hey, I want to interview you. I was like, all right. So he was like, uh, who are you rooting for tomorrow? I was like, Tom, I'm just there to see the bands. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Minor wisdom.